Amen. And I am on, right? <laughs> Unlike last time I preached, I forgot to turn my microphone on. But um, I just want to give some credit to, uh, to our drummer here this morning. Let's, uh, let's give him a round of applause. Drummer never gets a round of applause, right? But I like that new song. Jaden, great job, man. I like that new song that we play. I can't wait to get my hands on that one and see what I can do with it. But probably not as good as Jaden did this morning. So um, that song was great, though, right? I mean, so encouraging, so uh, foundational to, uh, to what we believe in and how we believe. Um, and it's great to hear um, how the Spirit just uh, influences people and encourages them to, to write such wonderful songs. Um, I'm going to start out with a question this morning. Um, how many of you have ever been or felt lost? Raise your hand. It's a good feeling, right? It's a great feeling to, to be lost. Um, maybe, uh, maybe you're in the car and uh, you realize you're driving and then all of a sudden, you know, you don't know where you are and, and you realize you're lost. Maybe you're a little kid and you're, you're walking in a department store and you're just kind of looking at everything and you assume that uh, the person standing next to you is your mom or your dad. And you reach up and you grab their hand and you realize, that's not my dad. Um, and, and there's that feeling of, of panic, of, of uneasy. Uh, I can uh, talk about my wife since she is uh, not here this morning. She's in the, in the children's wing. Um, but sometimes you can be lost in a conversation, right? Um, I, I, many times I'm lost in a, in a conversation, but uh, my wife seems to have this unique ability to um, start a conversation in her head with me and then continue it out loud with me. Um, the problem is I don't have the beginning of the conversation um, and she just expects me to, to jump in and I, I just stop and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I have no idea where we are in the conversation right now, but obviously you're like five steps in and I'm just... I'm starting at go here. Um, and it's not a, a very good feeling. Part of it is because uh, my wife has already worked things out in her brain, and she's, she's working along a logical path, and I, I'm just, I'm not there. And one of the hardest things for us as individuals, as human beings, to, to deal with is, is not understanding or not knowing, not comprehending. Um, it's, it's hard for us to catch up, especially when the conversation continues. And that's where we find the apostles this morning. Um, we find them in the middle of a conversation that's kind of snowballing on them. If you were here last week or you, you listened to Pastor Stephen, uh, Jesus has just got done telling the apostles that one of them is going to betray him. And I'm sure the apostles are feeling here that not only is this individual going to betray Jesus, he's going to betray all of them. And their, their confidence in this individual, that he is a traitor. And the, the question that, that um, Pastor Stephen asked last week is, what type of traitor are you? 
And all of the apostles at one point kind of look at each other and they're wondering and they're, they're trying to guess who the, who the traitor or the betrayer is going to be. And they're, they're caught up in this and their hearts start to get scared. They start to get that feeling of being lost, of being scared, that they don't understand what's going on right now. They've just had a beautiful feast together. Jesus has served them. He's washed their feet. The, the, the night started off so great. And now we're here. And the apostles are thinking to themselves, how did we get here? So we open up, uh, open up your Bibles here to, um, to John chapter 14, verse 1. John chapter 14, verse 1. And verse 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So Jesus starts off, and he says, listen, calm down. I I know what I just said. Uh, Peter, I know that you're upset because I just, in chapter 13, told you that you're going to deny me three times. I know you're, you're definitely upset. I mean, Peter was a... You know, he wasn't the type of guy to, you know, to keep his cool and to, to be calm and collected under pressure. Uh, he, was a, he was a fiery guy, and I'm sure he was upset. But all the disciples are kind of looking around, and they're all upset. Jesus says, hey, calm down. Stop. Believe in God. Believe also in me. What Jesus is telling them here is not just... To calm down, everything's, everything's going to be okay. His statement here is so much greater than that. Jesus is saying to them, as you believe in God, the faith that you have in God, have in me also. Now that is a huge statement. I have never, ever uttered those words of myself to anyone, nor should I ever utter those words to anyone else. But can you imagine being in the room, and someone in the room says this? There's going to be a lot of questions. If someone said, hey, just like you believe in God, believe in me. Well, that's tough. That's a tough pill to swallow. Jesus is claiming here to be on par with God. And the way that you believe in God, you should believe in him. Now the apostles, and those of you who have read scripture, have a whole host of reasons to be able to trust in this statement. We have a whole host of reasons. The apostles have a whole host of reasons. They've seen Jesus do miraculous works, things that no one else has ever done, things that no one else could ever do. He's seen him handle the religious leaders and their, their schemes and their, and their devices and the, and the ways that they've tried to entrap him. And no one, no one can pin this guy down. Jesus says, Calm down. Emmanuel, God with us, I am standing here right now in front of you. As you believe in God, believe also in me. 
Verse 2 here. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way that I am going. What does Jesus tell them here? Well, first he tells them that he's leaving. So again, I, I just I wanna I want you guys to understand the conversation that they're in here. Okay? The conversation starts off, it's a great night, everybody's having a good time. Oh, by the way, somebody's going to betray me. What? Like, you just dropped a bomb in the middle of dinner. Uh, somebody's going to betray me. Oh, and by the way, Peter, uh, the one that everybody looks up to, the one who's supposed to have the, the greatest amount of faith, oh, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, and uh, one last thing, I'm leaving. The apostles, I mean, their mind is just, it's spinning. Like all of these things in a row, the, the stress that they must be feeling, the anxiety that they must be feeling, in their mind, this is the worst case scenario. This is the absolute worst. It can't get any worse than this. Their world is falling apart in front of them. But what does Jesus tell them? He says, I'm going away for your good, for your benefit. I'm going to my father's house. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you that I was going to prepare a place for you. Going to prepare a place for you. Uh, Beth, Tasha, how you doing, Beth? You doing good? Uh, Beth, I'm going to give you a few numbers here. Okay, you got to remember them. Okay, you think you can do it? All right. Beth, I'm going to give you the numbers. Uh, let's just pick them at random. 136, 35, 129. You got it? Uh, if I say it this way, 136, 35, 129. Okay, you smiling a little bit? Okay, uh, let's see, Jen, Paige, how you doing? Jen, I got some numbers for you. Jen, nine, yeah, I know, I know, 907, 907, uh, 1040, and 1305. Now, ladies, do these numbers hold any significance to you whatsoever? Yes, yes right? They do. And they're easier to remember, aren't they? What are they? They're all your addresses, right? They're some of your addresses that you live, that you have lived in the past. Um, now, some of you are a little freaked out, maybe, um, that... Uh, <laughs> That I know these things. Um, I also uh, want to ask. Uh, I want to ask Ben Sayer if he got his car inspected in 2020. Did you get your car inspected? Okay, you eventually did. Okay, good. Um, so I have this crazy program on my phone. Okay, I can type in your name or your address, 
and I can find out a whole bunch of information on you. Um, which is actually really scary, okay? So um, uh, I actually pulled someone up the other day, and it, it tells me if they've had any criminal infractions. Not that, not that Ben ever would not get his car inspected. Um, ben, just so you know, I've driven for two years around with my car not inspected. So um, shame on me. Uh, uh, and then my wife got pulled over for it, which was awesome. Um, <laughs> But I pulled up somebody the other day that actually got, they actually got flagged by the, the, the game commission for, for not having a fishing license. And I was like, oh, well, I'll make sure I always have my fishing license with me. But um, it gives me all of this information. Uh, the reason that I gave you those numbers here is because one of those numbers you still live at. Uh, you don't anymore. I'm sorry. Uh, one of those numbers you still live at, right? Which number is the one you still live at? 129 is still the number that you live at. Is there a good chance that that's the last house that you're ever going to purchase? Probably not, right? Is this a good chance that this is the last house that you guys are ever going to purchase? Probably not, right? Probably not. Jesus says to the apostles here, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I am giving you an eternal home. What he's saying to the apostles here, without actually saying it, is that everything in this world that you're worried about here, it's going to pass away. What I am doing for you, by leaving, by going to the Father, I am solving the greatest problem in human history. Now, we talk about the things that we need as human beings. We need food, we need water, um, we need shelter. And, and shelter is probably right up there. I mean, if we don't have somewhere that we can, we can sleep and a roof over our head and things like that, we open ourselves up to all sorts of problems and issues that, that we just don't face as, as individuals who have a roof over our head. What Jesus is saying is, listen, I know this is going to be tough. I know it's going to be hard. I know there is a problem in your mind with me leaving you, but I have to leave to do the greatest work that the world has ever seen. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that there I am you may also be. Jesus tells them flat out, yeah, I'm going, but guess what? I'm coming back too. And when I come back, I'm going to take you with me. This is so encouraging. This should be so encouraging to the apostles that, hey, yes, for a time I am going to leave, but I will return to bring you back with me. Imagine yourself uh, stranded on a, on a desert island, and uh, let's say you only have like a one-person kayak, and there's five of you, and you're standing there, and the one person says, hey, listen, I'm going to take the kayak, and I'm going to go and get help. Well, the kayak's your only way back. I mean, if you're not standing there saying, well, I, could, I can go. Like, I'll go. I'll bring people back. Like, whatever. Like, I want to be the one to go. 
Don't leave me here. But that person says, no, I'm coming back. I'll bring help. It takes a certain amount of trust. It takes a certain amount of faith in that individual. Jesus is asking them to trust him. That he has a plan. That there is a greater purpose to him leaving. It's not that he's abandoning, abandoning them. It's not that he is scared. It's not that he's not strong enough to stay. It's not that the Roman soldiers or the, or the, the Jewish officials are too strong and Jesus can't stay. It's the fact that he has to go in order to perform the greatest work that the world has ever seen. Verse 4, and you know the way where I am going. Now I get the impression that Thomas is waiting for this statement here. Like he's standing there. Now Jesus knows all things. He knows who's going to speak up next. He knows exactly what they're going to be saying. And Thomas speaks up. Good old Thomas. I love Thomas. I spoke about Thomas, I think, in uh, the last time that I was in John or the time before that. But Thomas, Thomas and I have a lot in common. Okay? We are see-it-believe-it people. But also, I, I do feel like I'm going to meet Thomas in heaven, and he's going to be like this witty, sarcastic guy. Like, he's just really quick, like, in the way that he, he says things and responds to things. But he says to him, Lord... You just said something. Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? It's amazing sometimes when people respond to Jesus, how the exact thing that they say is the exact perfect thing to say for Jesus' next statement. Now, I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think John sat there and said, ooh, this would be really cool if I put this statement in after that. I believe this is exactly how it happened. Thomas says, hey, we don't know where you're going, and we don't know the way. The profound thing about Thomas's statement is it's, it's somewhat true. It has a, a measure of truth in it, even if Thomas doesn't know what he's saying. Because what Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm going to die. I'm not just leaving the upper room. I'm not just walking away for a time. I'm not just going to spend 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, just, I'm not just leaving for, you know, for a vacation. I'm going to die. And I'm going to go to the Father. And Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And that is so true. You see, human beings, uh, death is a very, uh, can be a very scary thing. Um, and mainly because we really can't talk to anybody who's experienced it. Full on experienced it. There's stories of people who say, you know, oh, I experienced hell, I experienced heaven. Great. But for the most part, most of us, we have no idea. There's no one we can talk to. There's no one we could say, hey, uh, didn't you die last month? Yeah, what was that like? Like, we can't. It's a complete unknown. Thomas says, 
we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then we have our magnet verse here. Okay, I call this a magnet verse. This one kind of sucks us in as we're reading our, our, our Bible, uh, you know, during the week. This is the verse that sucks us in. This is the verse that we're waiting to get to. Sometimes we miss what's before or what's right after it. But one of the greatest verses in all of Scripture, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now this is not this is not the message that the world wants to tell us, right? This is the exact opposite of the message that the world wants to tell us. That there's not just one way. There's not just one way to heaven. There's many ways to heaven. There's Allah, there's Buddha, there's just being a good person. There's uh, there's so many different ways that you can get to heaven. The Bible is very clear. And very clear, not just in this verse, but in other verses. But Jesus says plainly here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, you know, this is not the way to to win votes. You know, uh, being so narrow in your approach. But it is the way to be explicitly clear. And Jesus says there's no other way to heaven. I'm the only way. And these words are coming out of his mouth to the apostles. Our first point on your, on your, uh, on your outline there is that we need to trust the truth. We need to trust the truth. If we believe that Jesus Christ is leaving, if we were in the room and we believe that Jesus Christ was going to die, we need to trust that Jesus knows a little more than we do. If he says, listen, not only am I going to die, I'm going to give you, your, my death is going to create an unbelievable, amazing, the world has never seen reward for you. That I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. This is great news. This is great news for anyone. I've been in many of your homes. They're beautiful homes. Some of you have beautiful, beautiful homes. Nothing, nothing compared to the reward that we have in heaven. The place that has been secured for us by Jesus Christ. And he told us this. We heard these words. We read these words. We see these words on the page. If we do not trust these words, we have no reward. We have absolutely nothing. So the first thing we need to do is trust in the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. 
Oh, Jesus. What did you say now? Who's going to come up with the next question? How did you so perfectly lead into this next question here? Is it enough that Jesus came to this earth? Is it enough that Jesus bled on the, on the cross eventually? Is it enough that he was born of a virgin? Is it enough that he performed all of these miracles? Jesus says, not only is it enough, but you have seen the Father through me and in me. And Philip gets a little confused. Philip says in verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. How many of you ever prayed a, a prayer like this? Lord, if you just, then I will. Lord, just show us the Father, and that will be enough for me. I will believe, I will follow. I will follow unto death. If you show me the Father, I'll do this. Some of us may have prayed prayers like, Lord, if I get this raise, right, then I will give half of the raise to the church. That sounds like a good idea. Sounds like a win-win, right? I get a little extra cash. You get a little extra cash. It's all good. Hey, we'll sell a field. And then we'll tell everybody we gave them all the profit, but we'll only give them half. And that way we have, no. Uh, you know, God, this is a great idea. It's a win-win. Philip says, listen, if you're leaving, show us the Father. Show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Philip says, give us a sign. Prove to us that you're going to him. That he's the destination. That he is where you are going. He's not the first one to have a great idea, right? Uh, Peter, Peter had a great idea on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Peter says, hey, yo, it's good for us to be here. Jesus is standing there and there's these two others with him that have just magically appeared, Moses and Elijah. And, and I, again, I don't know if they were wearing name tags, but he knew who they were. And Peter says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let us build some houses. Let's build some tabernacles so that we can have these, these superpowers here for us. And this leads to part of the confusion and being lost in the conversation. Because the apostles, they don't want Jesus to leave. They don't want him to go. See, they have their own thoughts and their own ideas. Jesus wasn't supposed to leave. Jesus is supposed to stay. Jesus is supposed to set up a kingdom here. Jesus is supposed to overthrow Rome. And guess what? We're supposed to be his generals. We're supposed to be the guys who are on the front line. You know, and we're going to be in charge, and, and we're going to tell people what to do, and, and it's going to be great. That's where the apostles are thinking. Jesus says, no, I'm leaving. Philip tries to grab onto anything he can. Uh, Lord, one more thing. One more thing before you go, and this will be enough. It's the last thing I'll ever ask for, I promise. 
Show us the Father. I don't think Jesus is angry here or disappointed. And here's the reason. Last week, we talked about, uh, in chapter 13, uh, we talked about the fact that Jesus' heart was troubled when he started to, to tell the apostles these things. Jesus' heart is no longer troubled here. The apostles' hearts are troubled. Um, I used to say things jokingly to other pastors, but they're, they're true at times, um, especially in youth group. Um, especially in youth group when you're in a foreign country or you're on a, a missions trip with them or at Knobles with them and something goes wrong. If you're the leader... You've got one goal when things go wrong, and they go wrong in front of a large group of people. It's, it's called don't spook the sheep. Okay, don't spook the sheep. Uh, fathers, you guys have experienced this probably before with your kids, moms with your kids, where something goes completely wrong, and you're like, okay, I want to freak out right now, but I can't. I have to be in control. I have to be able to do this. I think Jesus is completely calm when he says this to Philip. Jesus knows what he has to do. He knows where he's going. He knows what it's going to entail. Jesus is so focused, though, on the needs of the apostles right now and what they need. Guys, our God is patient with us. He is so patient. We continually sin, we continually question, we continually want a sign. We continually want more and more. Yet he's patient with us. He turns to Philip. Philip, how (laughs) have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on the account of the works themselves. Jesus reveals a great truth to the apostles here. He says, listen, if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. The Father is in me and I am in the Father. We are one. There is only one moment where we will be separated. He doesn't get into this with them, but there's only one moment in time that the Father and the Son will be separated. And that is that moment on the cross. But other than that, they are in perfect fellowship. They are one with one another. He is in me. I am in him. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Philip, how long have we been together? He says, listen, if you don't believe my words and what I'm saying here, believe on the account of the works that you've seen. Believe on what you have seen. Isn't this what Jesus tells John the Baptist when his, when his disciples come? John asks through, through his own disciples. He sends messengers to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, uh, are you the one or should we expect another? What does Jesus say? Blind see, lame walk, deaf hear. What more evidence do you need? What more evidence do you need? It's our second point here. 
first point was to trust the truth. Here's what we need to do. We need to witness the way. Witness the way. Jesus is saying very, very honestly to Philip here, look at all I've done. Stand and see. Step back. Think about it. Think about everything that you have seen me do. What do you believe, Philip? What do you believe? Do you believe that the Father and I are one? That we're in perfect fellowship with one another? Witness the works of the Father through the Son. Now this this is an important theological truth here. That the Son and the Father are one. And the Father is working through the Son while he is on this earth. Jesus says flat out, the words that I'm sharing with you are not my words. They're my Father's words being spoken through me. There is such a fellowship between the Father and the Son here that, again, it's hard to tell where the Son ends and the Father begins and where the Father ends and the Son begins because they have no beginning and end. They are one. He says to Philip, if you've seen him, you've seen me. Think about this for a second. This is what Adam and Eve had in the garden. This is what they had. They had the ability, at least Adam had the ability, we know for sure, to walk with God in the garden. These apostles, they've had three years To walk with God. I mean, that's huge. Moses wanted to see God's face, and God said, Hey, listen, Moses, that's too great for you. You could see my back. They saw the Shekinah glory uh, when they were wandering in the wilderness. But Jesus, the God-man, walks with these apostles for three years. And I guarantee you, he's telling this to Philip in order for him to realize, realize how great the loss of him leaving is, but also how great the reward must be to come at so costly a price. Verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. We're going to stop there for a second. I want you guys to see the progression here. There's a reason that Jesus includes this little tag at the end here. What has Jesus just said? Jesus just said, listen, I and the Father are one. The Father does his works through me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Believing in Christ trusting in his truth, witnessing in the way, guess what that results in? That results in just the same way that God is working through through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will work through us. Let that sink in for a second. In the same way that the Father and the Son are connected and one, we are now part of the body of Christ. 
That if we believe in Christ, if we believe in his, his works, his sacrifice, the fact that he was raised from the dead, that we now have the power to do the works of Christ. He doesn't stop there. He says, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Now this can be a confusing statement here. Because I just said several times that the greatest work ever performed in history is about to happen through Jesus Christ. That he is going to reconcile man to himself through the sacrifice of himself. That man and God will now have fellowship together. I'm going to ask you a question. I asked at the beginning if you've ever felt lost. How many of you have been spiritually lost? Raise your hand. I've been spiritually lost. Spiritually lost is a, is a tough place to be. And I would venture most of our world is, is spiritually lost at this moment in time. And when we're spiritually lost, we don't really have a direction when it comes to death. We can guess. We can hope. We can try to figure it out logically. But the great thing about our God is that our God has told us. He has told us flat out. He did not leave us alone. He did not leave us forever. He has given us his words. And he says, greater works than these will he do. Guys, the greatest work that any of us can see is not raising someone from the dead. Okay, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Did that save Lazarus? Did that save him from eternal damnation? No. Uh, Jesus made people see. Did that, did that save them from eternal damnation? No, they could see. It made them well for however long until they died. Guys, the greatest work that we can see is seeing a soul be redeemed. And knowing that it is not our work that's doing it. That it's Jesus Christ working through us. What Jesus is telling us flat out is that he is going to the Father. He's going to prepare a place for us. But we're still going to be here. We can't follow him right now. But someday he will come back for us. We still have a life to live here. And that's our third point. We need to live the life. Trust the truth. Witness the way. Live the life. Now I do believe that Jesus Christ is, is using, when he says life, he's using it in two terms here. He's talking about the eternal life first and foremost. The fact that we will have a spot in heaven. That God has prepared a room for us. That Jesus has gone and prepared a place for us. So that we can live with God forever. But Jesus says, I'm leaving. Like, what are these apostles supposed to do? Just wait until he comes back? Little spoiler alert. They tried that. Okay? They tried to wait until he came back. When Jesus ascended into heaven, what did they do? They stood there. And they're looking up. So much so an angel had to come and say, hey, get out of here. Go. Gone. Coming back again, but go. 
Are they just supposed to wait? No. They're supposed to live their life now. Live the life that Christ has given them. Christ says, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. What is the abundant life? I will tell you right now. If somebody asks you what the abundant life is, and you don't say the abundant life is glorifying God through Jesus Christ, his son, you've missed the point. Guys, let Christ work through you. The greatest need that people have, Jesus gives us the answer right here. And he says, greater works than these will you do. The greatest work that we can see is seeing a soul come to Christ and knowing that it's nothing of our doing, but it was all paid for on the cross and done through the work of Christ, through the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that next week. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And all of us just prayed to hit the lottery. No. We've already hit the lottery. We've already got the greatest reward. The best thing is we (laughs) we didn't have to play. God chose us. The work of the Holy Spirit is what chose, it seals us. It secures our spot. But Jesus talks about prayer here. And he's, what he wants them to realize is that positionally, where Jesus is going is to be seated at the right hand of the Father. He is going back to be with the Father. He's going to die and rise again and be glorified in heaven. So much so that whatever we ask of him on this earth, he will do with a caveat. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. You know, James talks about this. James talks about the fact that, you know, we ask and we don't receive because we ask with wrong motivation. Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration asked with wrong motivation. He was thinking, this is going to be awesome. We're going to have a powerhouse here. Nobody's going to stop us. His mind was on this earth. You know, so many of the things that we ask for are things on this earth. How many times in Scripture did Jesus tell people that they had their minds set on things below rather than the things above? Where are we storing our treasure? Our heartbeat, if we know Christ, needs to be the glory of God. It's not about our homes, it's not about where we currently live or where we've lived in the past. It's not about our jobs. It's not about our paycheck. Those things are fleeting. Moth and rust will destroy those someday. They'll break. What really matters, the works that really matter, are the works that Christ does through us. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm going to speak to you guys who don't know this truth. The bottom line is that there's one way to heaven. That our righteous creator, God, in his infinite wisdom created man, and man chose to sin. And that we have an issue now. We have the biggest issue ever. And there's only one way 
for us to get back to our perfect relationship with God. To be able to stand in his presence. And that is for a Savior to come. And Jesus Christ tells us flat out here in these verses that he has come, he has lived, he will die, and he will live again. And not only that, he will provide an eternal place for us. And the works that we do on this earth will not be our own, they will be his. And we will reap the benefits of him working through us. Guys, trust the truth. You've heard truth today. If you don't know Christ, you've heard truth. Witness in the Bible the works of Christ, the many works of Christ. And then finally, you will receive the life. Not just the eternal life, but the life that we can experience now. That our Savior is seated at the right hand of the Father. And anything we ask that brings glory to God's name, He will grant us. What a reward. It's the best news ever. Accept it. Trust it. Today may be the day for you. Today may be the day, and I want you to know, it's not by any cunning words that I've shared today. It's not by any magical uh, you know, phraseology or anything like that. It is through the power of the word of God that the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart. Next week, we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus didn't leave us alone, that he's given us a comforter. Guys, you may be scared. You may feel lost. Those of you who are Christians, you may feel like, hey, I'm, I'm not making enough money, or uh, maybe my kids are not uh, living the way that they should, or maybe things at work are just tough because nobody likes me and, and it's terrible, or maybe my marriage is falling apart. We can feel lost even as Christians sometimes. We can feel scared. Ben, we've been praying for you. You've had a rough week. Ben, ben lost his mom this week. It's hard. It's tough. We can feel lost. We know the greatest news though. We need to share it. Live the life. Witness the way. Trust the truth. Let's pray.